to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Hills. Uh, it is a joy to be with you all. I came to one of your vision nights and loved it. I was like, man, I got to be a part of this church. And then my wife tells me, hey, you know, you're a pastor of another church, right? And I'm like, yeah, but I love this one too. Um, guys, if you're new with us, uh, we've been in this series in the book of Ephesians, where this man named Paul was a great Christian missionary. And he started this church in Ephesus. And about three years later, he finds himself in jail and he's writing them this letter to a church plant like ours and a church plant like yours. And today we come to this beautiful passage on Paul's prayer for the church. And my hope is this, is at the very end of today, I want us to pray for each other like this. And we're gonna see three ways from this text that we can pray for each other. And I pray that you would have this heart towards one another and towards God. So let's jump right in. Ephesians chapter one. Uh, the late Pastor Warren Wiersbe tells this story about this man named William Randolph Hearst. And he once got this news, this man, of an extremely valuable piece of art. And so he decided, I've got to add this to my extensive and expensive collection. So Mr. Hearst was a privileged and wealthy man uh, who built his media empire after he founded the concept of yellow journalism. So he hired an agent to help him scour the galleries of the world to find this masterpiece, and he determined to have it at any price. So after months of painstaking search, they both finally found this art. It had been stored in a warehouse that was lost and forgotten, a warehouse that already belonged to Mr. Hearst. He had owned the piece of art all along. It's a funny story, but it's also a tragic one. To think about the time and effort wasted searching for something that he already owned, but he never actually realized it. And sadly today, this story is all too common for the Christian life, where we find ourselves tragically entangled on a quest for something more in this life, something that's already been provided to you and I in our relationship with God through Jesus. Have you ever found yourself there? You might even be there now, today. You're seeking for relational love when the kind of love that you need is actually provided by God's unconditional and never-ending love through Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you're struggling for escape and comfort through food, adventure. Maybe it's sexual pleasure because of the hardships of life and work. But Psalm 16 tells us that God is our refuge and he's where satisfaction comes from. Maybe today you're seeking success in school or power at work to earn your value or your worth in the eyes of others when God has already told you and proven your worth by living in your place, dying in your place on the cross, and then raising in your place so that you can have a place with him. Now, it's expected that we would pray for such blessings like love, comfort, and power if we didn't have them. But the tone of Paul's prayer today is not one of requesting these blessings, but that we would realize these blessings. That is what verse 17 shares, that we would look at it here, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him 
and of every spiritual blessing that he has blessed us with in the heavenly places. And that's what today's scripture is all about. The author Paul is praying for God to give the Christians in Ephesus a true understanding and a right application of what they already have been given in their relationship with Jesus. His prayer is for them to know just how magnificent and unlimited are the blessings that already belong to you of those who are in Jesus by faith. So just like we saw in this opening story, Paul is seeking to spare the Ephesians from the same story of tragic loss and wasted time that Mr. Hurst suffered. He wants them to deeply understand what is already theirs in Christ and for them to see that their great God is the source of all that they need. That's why I've titled this message this, A Prayer for Great Understanding of God's Great Blessings. Let's take a brief moment to pray. God, I pray that you grant us today to begin to comprehend the magnitude and the significance of the blessings that you have given to us. God, would you open our minds to understand and our hearts to appreciate all that you've given us so that we may glorify you fully. Then grant us the grace to live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, in the very beginning of this passage, in verse 15, Paul begins to wind down the very first chapter of the six chapters that are in this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He says this in verse 15. You can look at it. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. Side note, that is also what I hear about you guys. You have a great faith in the Lord and you have tremendous love for one another. So I, like Paul, I'm grateful for this church because of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for the saints. By the way, that, those are just marks of a Christian life. You have great faith in Jesus and you have great love for other people. If you struggle with your love for other people, we can lean into our faith in Jesus and see the love that he has for us poured out on the cross. In church at Forest Hills, I see that this is of you as well. Paul says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, here's what he does. I do not cease. I don't stop to give thanks for you every time I remember you in my prayers. After Paul's great praise to God for all the spiritual blessings that Pastor Stephen has been preaching on from verses three through 14, now the attention shifts from Paul's great praise to Paul's great prayer for the church in verses 15 through 23. And what's this prayer all about? For God to give them, and therefore us, a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand the great benefits of these great blessings given to us by a great God in fact, there's three particulars here that Paul prays for in this text, and it will be our three points of emphasis today. We're going to learn that we want to pray that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and, 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 and revelation to understand these three things, the great hope of our calling, the great inheritance of the saints, and the great power of God towards us. Hope, inheritance, power. So let me show you what I mean. Look again at verse 16. Paul says this. He says, guys, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And remember Jewish tradition, they would pray three times a day. So when Paul would pray, he's remembering their faith and the love that they have towards each other. And he's praying for them constantly. Church, are you praying for each other? This month is Pastor Appreciation Month. Are you praying for our pastor, Stephen? And are you praying for Pastor Matt, pa Pastor, um, well, two Matts. Are you praying for both of them and their families? Are you lifting them up? Are you not ceasing to pray for your community group? Are you praying for the Forest Hills community? 
Guys, let us be like Paul and not cease, not stop praying for one another and for the community around us. So he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that, so here's the prayer, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you, here's the first thing, the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. He wants us, verse 18, to have our eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may, and here's the three things. Number one, know what is the hope that you have been called. Number two, that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? He says, I'm praying, God, would you give me an understanding? You've already given me the blessing. Now give me the understanding of the hope of the inheritance and the power that you've given to me. Have you ever lost your sunglasses or your keys before? and they're on your head or it's in your pocket, and you're scrambling around looking for those items that you already have. That's what Paul's saying. You have been given an inheritance, you've been given a hope, and you've given a power, but you act and live as though you have not been given. Church, we are the same way. We need this prayer that we would know what God has given to us. So let's unpack this first one, found in verse 18, that God would enlighten the hearts of us to see the great hope of our calling. Okay, the attainment of hope uh, was just as rare of a commodity for the Ephesians in the first century world as it is for us today. The challenges of life, oppression, and despair often dominated the ancient world. People had little hope of being able to better their own situation. And guys, don't we often feel the same? We know that life in God's creation, it has good elements, but we're often so beat down by challenges and evil and sickness and death that fill our everyday lives aren't we? And so what happens? We lose hope. We insulate ourselves from despair with movies, television, adventure, food, escape, sexual pleasure, and other forms of entertainment. We are taught from an early age through our movies and our TV watching that we all live happily ever after. And so we pursue this illusion only to be pummeled, right? By life's disappointments, failed relationships, and constant setbacks. And guys, it's because of this reality that Paul's prays for God to enlighten our disappointed and darkened hearts so that our hearts could see the hope of our calling in the midst of hard times. So what is this hope? What is the hope that you and I have been called into? Well, the word hope here means way more than just wishful thinking for a better future. Like, I hope this works out, or I hope things change, or as Pastor Stephen mentioned the other week, I hope that my Uber comes. No, biblical hope is more than just wishful thinking. Hope is depending on the promises of God that are sure to come. Hope is waiting on a guaranteed future in the midst of a challenging present. And this is what Paul is getting at in this prayer, that we would know the guaranteed future of what you and I have in Christ. Bible teacher John Stott tells us that the hope of our call to God takes us back to the very beginning of our Christian lives. And it's God's phone call to us, to those whom God predestined, he called them, and those whom he called, he justified or made right before himself because of Jesus taking away our sin. It's true, friends, we called God to save us, but our call was a response to his first call. The question now is, what did God call us for, and how was that even hopeful? 
Paul wants them to know the significance of why God chose and adopted them. He wants them to understand the benefits of God's adoption of them into his family and the consummation of God's plan for them in all of eternity. And it's through this that God tells us that his call to us is not some random or purposeless thing. He had some objective in his mind when he called us. Listen, he called us to something for something. And this something is what the rest of the New Testament takes the time to tell us. Listen, we learn in 1 Corinthians 1.9 that God has called us to belong to Jesus Christ and into his fellowship or his care and his union where he blesses us with a new identity and a ton of care and constant never-ending love no matter what we go through. In 2 Timothy 1.9, we also learn that God has called us to be saints or to live a holy calling since he who has called us himself is holy and he calls us to be holy as he is. Now we can't do that in of ourselves. So Jesus had to take away our sins on the cross and then we are to live a holy life where it's good for our flourishing. We also learn in Galatians that we are called to freedom, not to lapse back into the sinful bondage, which keeps us from our flourishing in God's glory. Colossians 3.15 tells us that we are called into the one body to enjoy the peace of Christ. And we must live worthy of this calling in Philippians in which we've been called. Church, we are to call to forbear one another in love, not to give up on one another. In other words, this calling to God is a calling with other Christians of different cultures, of different colors and different classes, all called to be one family of faith. Christian, are you living out this calling, this hope of this calling? Or are you answering a different call that doesn't satisfy? Church, are you committed to one another? Are you living life with one another? Are you living the hope of the gospel, this unity we have together? Are you living in this hope? Are you living for something else that's a lowercase hope that will not satisfy you? We learn all throughout the scripture that God has called us to Christ, to holiness, to peace, to mission, to each other for his glory. More simply, church, our call to God was a call to an altogether new life in which we know, we love, and we follow Jesus in every area of life and help others do the same, where we enjoy fellowship with him and with each other and look beyond our present sufferings to the glory that will one day be revealed. This is the hope to which he has called you. And Paul prays that our eyes would be opened to know it. Guys, I think a good analogy for this for my own family about depending on the promises that are yet to come. This is what gives us hope in our hard times. I was watching this movie called Finding Nemo. You guys seen the movie, Finding Nemo? I've got two little girls, one named Kiana, she's four, and another little girl, she's two, named Shasera. And I was watching this movie with them, and remember, I know how it ends. But we're watching this scene, and if you remember, there's Nemo, their little friend Dory, and there's this big shark that's coming after Nemo and Dory. And my daughters are terrified, thinking that this shark is going to eat the fish whom they've come to love, right? They're watching this, and I'm calm, I'm chill, I'm relaxed, because I know how it ends. These girls have no idea the hope of how this ends. So our reactions watching this movie are completely different. I'm in my recliner, I'm laid back, I'm sipping my Coke, and I'm just watching this thing, and I'm just like, yep, I know the fish are gonna go. My daughters are freaking out. Pillows over their face, blankets over their mind. Daddy, the fish are gonna die. There's gonna be blood, I don't wanna watch this. They're freaking out. And there's a difference in us, right? 
The difference is that I know the hope of how it ends. And so I can bring this comfort to them, the same comfort that I bring to you. Our hope is not where we are now. It's where this whole thing ends. And the way that you and I can live is hope filled. If you know, God will bring you out of the circumstance you're in. If you know the heritage you have in heaven, if you know the brokenness in your body, the suffering you deal with, with mental um, uh, health or anxiety or depression, if you have physical ailments, if you're going through relational tension, that God will heal and repair all the brokenness in us and in the world. Hope is depending on a promise that is sure to come. My friends, let's not act like it's not coming. Every ailment, every hurt, every wound, every injustice, God will bring healing. The second of Paul's three prayer requests is found in verse 18b. And it's very much related to the first one we saw, but he prays this, that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts to know, number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Notice the wording. Let me see it again. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you realize that maybe the previous weeks talked about our inheritance? But do you realize, listen, friend, God sees you as his inheritance. If you get that, then you understand your worth and your value, your significance, your meaning. You don't have to have all the letters after your name, PhD and master's in this and all of this in order to build up a worth or significance for you. Because God says, you are my inheritance. You are my treasure. You are my love. This is powerful to think about. But it also works both ways. Our, us being God's inheritance is also our inheritance in him. So we've got to ask this question, right? What is the inheritance God has in us and that we have in him? What is this inheritance? Because this is the hope in which we've been called into. It's more than just a hope of the calling and how we are to live, but it's where we're going as a church of Forest Hills and where we're going in the future. And the Bible speaks a lot about this inheritance. And it's really good for us. And I want to share this with you. Revelation 21 gives us a brief but beautiful description of our heavenly inheritance. Let me read it to you. And I want you to think about all the struggles you're facing, everything you've been through, every injustice that you've, you've suffered, Think about all of it, every relational tension. Think about every pain you face and think about this text in light of this. Revelation 21.4, it says, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. God and those who have trusted in him will dwell with him face to face together forever. Everything old will be made new, every injustice made right, and every brokenness in us and around us will be restored because of him. Guys, every stress you're facing, every hardship with your family or relationships, every disappointment, all the weight that takes up space in your mind will be gone. Guys, this is your inheritance, and it gets better. This text tells us about a beautiful new Jerusalem, which will be our restored city of residence, where there'll be no more corrupt power 
or politicians or policies in place and where people from every nation, every tribe and tongue will be gathered in unity and equality without prejudice or racism. The tree of life and the river of life that issue from God's heavenly throne symbolize to us God's real gifts of eternal joy, of fulfillment, of love, peace, security, and comfort, all of which are things that we long for in this life. He promises us in the next. And this passage is telling us that for those who have a relationship with Christ, all of these things are what our hearts long for most, and they find our fulfillment in our relationship with God, which is our inheritance with him for all of eternity. First Peter 1 verse 4 picks up on this theme of inheritance, and it tells us that like, unlike any possession or inheritance we could receive on this earth, we have a heavenly inheritance. And it's there that it's imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading. Like all of our other relationships and everything that's crashed down around us, our jobs, our hopes, our dreams, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for us, Peter says. First Peter 1, 5 says it's who by God's power, this inheritance is being guarded through faith for a salvation waiting to be revealed to you. Meaning this future inheritance will never fade, will never fall, never fail. It's protected and guaranteed for each of us who are in a relationship with Christ. So to summarize, what's the inheritance that we've obtained? Our inheritance is God and his goodness for all of eternity, his restoring power, his healing presence, his redeeming love for all of time. To say it most clearly, my friends, God is your inheritance. God is the point of the gospel. God is the point of heaven. God is the point of your inheritance. The riches of what you need most in this earth is the riches of God who is in heaven, who has come to us on earth. And Christian, he is telling you today through this text that he is yours forever to heal every wound, to fix every problem, to be the fulfillment of every longing. And this is yours forever in him that we'll see the fulfillment of in heaven. So therefore, there is no need to look to anything or anyone other than him. King David even wrote about this in the Psalms. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You are my lot that makes me secure. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me because surely I have a great inheritance in you. Guys, listen, when we really get this, when we deeply understand and value this glorious inheritance that awaits us, we are better able to endure whatever comes our way in life. We can praise God even during the trials. Why? Because we have a guaranteed that we will receive all of this promise, including a heavenly future without tears and trials. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Meaning every wound, every challenge, every difficulty, every stress, every burden, every heartache that fails in comparison and will be overshadowed by the multitude of blessing and love and, and healing that God gives in heaven. This is what you're aiming for. This brings you hope. This helps us to lift our head knowing that what we're facing is not the end. This is good news, my friends. This is good news. Let me illustrate this last point. Let's say you and I joined an experiment where you're asked, all of us in this room are asked to sit in a windowless room and do a menial task for three months, 12 hours a day. And let's say it's stuffing envelopes for three months, 12 hours a day, licking them, sealing them, sending them. But let's say that one, one, Matt Waldrip 
gets more information than we get. Matt joins the experiment and is forced to do the same thing, except Matt was told that at the end of three months, he would receive $3 billion. Matt better tie well to the church. Just kidding. So for three months, you and I sit there miserable, grinding our teeth, regretting every minute of this commitment, month after month, and might, some of us might bail after the first month. But your friend Matt, he sticks out for three months, probably happily whistling along while he works. So what's the difference? Both circumstances are the same, right? You and I work for three months, 12 hours a day, sticking, sealing envelopes and sending them. But the difference with Matt is the promised future of the $3 billion changes the perception, attitude, and action of the one who keeps the future in mind. And that's the application point Paul is making, that many of us live as if we have no inheritance at the end of this life. We're completely caught up in the here and now, stuck in the menial and forgetting the eternal. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's on unseen. Not what's on temporary, but what's on eternal. My friends, if our heart can grasp this, like what Paul is praying for, if we can grasp this inheritance, what we have in Christ changes the way we think about our present struggles and gives us hope in the help we need to endure life's challenges. You've been given insider information. You're not just stuck in an 80 years life doing menial tasks. There's a great hope and a great inheritance for you. And then here's the third thing that we'll end on. Paul gives a final third prayer request in this text. And it's really, really powerful. I want you to lean in and listen to what Paul prays here. He prays that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And then he says, this power is according to the working of his great might that this power worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Not just heavenly places, but far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And therefore God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things and even head of the church, which we are his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Listen, these three things, right? Hope, inheritance, power. If God's call looks back to the beginning and God's inheritance looks to the end, then surely God's power spans the period of beginning and end and his power is here for you now. And it's on this point that Paul really concentrates on for only God's power can fulfill the expectation which belongs to this call and brings us safely to the riches of God's glory in our inheritance, which he will give us in heaven. Paul is convinced that God's power is sufficient. And so he accumulates a lot of words to convince us of it. He writes not only of God's power, but he uses this word energy, which is the might of God's strength. The literal translation is the working of his great might. And he prays that we might know the greatness of it in the immeasurable riches of it towards us who believe. So here's the question. How shall we know the surpassing greatness of his power? What does that mean that it's toward us, that there's a power? Well, here's how he shares it. Here's how we know of this power because he's given us a public demonstration of it in the resurrection 
in the exaltation of Christ. Paul actually refers to three successive events. Did you see it? Verse 20 is the first one. First, he displayed this power by raising Jesus from the dead. Secondly, he made Jesus sit at the right hand of God of the heavenly places, far above all the competitors and everything was put underneath his feet. And then thirdly, he has made him head over all things and all places at all times and head over the church, which we are his body. And these three positions of power belong together. It's because of Christ's resurrection from the dead and the enthronement over the powers of evil that he has been given headship over the church. The resurrection and the ascension were decisive demonstration of his divine power. For if there are two powers which humanity cannot control, but which hold us bondage, are sin and death, aren't they? People are mortal, we can't avoid death. People are fallen, we can't overcome evil. But God in Christ has conquered both sin and death, and therefore he can rescue us from both. The power God demonstrated in raising Christ from the dead and placing him above all creation is the same power he is exercising right now to bring about all of the blessings that he's promised to you. That's why Paul's saying this. Does that not blow your mind? When you think about the, all the blessings that Pastor Stephen poured out in verses three through 14, all of those are the promises to us. And then Paul's saying, listen, you know how I know you're gonna get all those? Because the power of God that was in the resurrection to put him above all things, to make everything's be underneath him, that same power, God is pushing that power towards you all of the blessings, all of the promises, all of the inheritance, all of the hope. So it's a guarantee that these blessings are real and he'll work them out in your life. If you feel like you're not loved or chosen or cared for, maybe you're single in this room and you're desiring a spouse and therefore you begin to think that maybe there's something wrong with you or broken with you, that you're not married, which is obviously not the truth, but there's something about learning about God's love and adoption, his choosing you that he begins to heal that piece of you. And it's God's power that's pushing that truth, pushing that truth, pushing that truth to your heart. And so Paul says, listen, this is the hope. I want your eyes to be enlightened of the hope that you've been called into. What's the inheritance waiting for you there? And what's the power to make sure it gets there for you? It's for this reason, Forest Hills, that we must not cease to pray for each other because we forget this often. Our hearts are weary. Our lives are hard. So church, would you join me and join each other in praying for each other that verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. May God enlighten our hearts that we would know what is the hope in which he has called us. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Church, I love you. And I'm grateful that I got to be with you today to share this hope together, to unpack this prayer. And guys, we have these blessings. But let's pray that we now realize and live in them. Let's pray together. 